I got my first uh, girlfriend uh, when I was 18 years old. I'd been hanging out for a girlfriend, and eventually it happened. There was this girl that I'd liked for about uh, seven or eight months, and eventually I convinced her that she should like me back. And we went to the movies together, and we sat next to each other uh, in the cinema. Uh, we were watching Pearl Harbor, which is, you know, not a particularly great movie, but I had an excellent time. We were sitting really close to each other and uh, almost touching. I was like, this is amazing. I was very excited to be there. And then uh, as we were driving home after the movie, uh, we kind of had this discussion. We we're like, well, I, I guess we're dating then. I was like, yes, I guess we are. It was very exciting. And that, that led to one of the most exciting times in my life so far. Nothing, you know, nothing could get me down. I was always happy because I had a girlfriend. If I was stuck in traffic, didn't matter. I had a girlfriend. If my food at Macca's was cold, didn't matter. I had a girlfriend. If I was, you know, failing at my work, didn't matter. Because I had a girlfriend and things were wonderful for the next three and a half weeks. Until we were sitting uh, in uh, someone's car at the bottom of my driveway chatting. And uh, things have been a little bit rocky between us. And she said, you know, things are much better since we broke up. And I said, we broke up? She said, yeah, on Tuesday. I was like, but it's Friday. How am I only finding out now that I, we broke up like five days ago? How did that happen? And then I realized that all this joy that I had because of this love, you know, was gone. And, uh, and things weren't as exciting anymore. Now, the truth is that, uh, you know, love can change things. Love can change our outlook on the world. Love can change us. Love can change other people. Love can do amazing things. Uh, now I am married and uh, I'm pretty happy being married and I'm pretty glad that I'm not going to get surprised one day and find out that we broke up a while ago. I'm really excited about that. But the truth is that even the best love in this world uh, is not perfect. Even the best love ends. Even the best love, if nothing else, it ends in death. In the love of a husband and a wife, or love of your parents, or love of a brother and sister, or your friends, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or your pet, whoever it is that loves you or that you love them, None of the love that we have in this world is perfect. None of them are unstoppable except for one. And that is God's love. The only love that is unstoppable. The only love that is eternal. The only love that completely changes everything for us is God's love. And that's what this passage is all about. It's all about God's unstoppable, never-ending overwhelming love which changes everything for us. So let's have a little bit of a look at what is going on in this passage. The first thing uh, that it says uh, is what shall we say in response to these things? Which is an interesting thing to start with at the beginning of a passage. What is he talking about in response to what things? Well he could be saying what shall we say in response to everything that he has said in the book of Romans so far? 
And if you know Romans, you'll know that it's you know, a book which you know, tells us all about the good news of what God has done for us, about our uh, ability to, to go to the depths of sin and depravity, uh, whether we are a Jew or whether we're a Gentile, no matter who we are, we rebel against God. We have idols that we worship other than God. But we have a God who loves us anyway, uh, who saves us uh, by faith. Uh, we see that uh, God has brought us from slavery uh, to sin and to death and brought us into relationship with him. Uh, when we look at Romans, we see in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul talks about the great news that it is for us that we have God's Holy Spirit who lives in us and intercedes for us between us and the Father and helps us to pray. The great news that one day uh, God is going to renew this creation. Or maybe Paul is just talking about what he has just said. And he's saying, what shall we say in response to the fact that God works everything for the good of those who love him? And that God has been working to make us like his son Jesus since before we existed. And he's going to continue doing it till uh, after Jesus has returned. That we are, we are going to become uh, these people who are changed to be transformed to the image of his sons. And he's saying, what shall we say in response to this? Whatever it is, it's big and it's amazing that Paul is saying. What shall we say then in response to all these amazing things? And then he goes on to say this, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, the answer probably is no one and nothing. No one can be against us if God is for us. The God of the universe is on our side. I used to work at the Sydney Entertainment Centre before it was demolished. Uh, I worked there as an usher. And my job was to uh, open doors for people, to check tickets, uh, to herd drunk people, to make sure that everyone was okay. Uh, that was pretty much my job. And I got to see a lot of concerts and you know, visiting dignitaries and Amway conferences. Some were better than others. But one of my jobs was to keep my aisles clear. That was what the managers kept telling me. Keep your aisles clear. So what we'd have to do is we'd have to stand in our section and look up and down the aisles just to make sure there was no one in the aisles. No one sitting in the aisles or standing in the aisles or dancing in the aisles. Uh, because probably for some safety reasons so that everyone could get out quickly if things went wrong. And it was, you know, not that fun. Everyone was like, oh, you're sitting in the aisle, please go and sit in your seat. Or you're standing in the aisle, please go stand in your seat. Or you're, you're dancing in the aisle, please stop dancing and go dance your seat. Which made me feel a little bit like the angry preacher in Footloose trying to stop people from dancing at a concert. But that was my job. And so I would do that. And there was one concert that I was at. And I saw this uh, guy who was dancing at the top of the aisle. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to go and tell him to stop. So I went along and I was like, all right, can you please stop dancing in the aisle? Go, dan go dance in your seat. And he was like, oh, okay. moves off. And I go back to my spot and I look down and there he is again, dancing in the aisle. And not only is he there, but he's brought a friend with him. And I'm like, oh, man, he's multiplied. This is the worst. So then I go back to him and I said, could you please... You guys, please move back to your seat. Stop dancing in the aisle. And at this point, they just kind of looked at me and kept dancing. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, you need to go back. And they just danced in my face. It was like, you know, some musical teenage rebellion. It was, it was tough for me. And so I said, listen, if you don't move, I'm going to go away and I'm not coming back. 
Someone else is going to come back and they will move you somewhere else. It's not going to be my problem. So you can move or I can send someone else. And they just danced in my face. I was like, all right, that's it. So I left and I went to the security guard and said, look, these guys have ignored my instructions twice. They're dancing in the aisle. Can you deal with them? And the security guard's like, yeah, we can. And got a few more security guards and then went and got them and said to them, you know, you've got to move. And they just kept dancing. And then so the security guards grabbed them and they danced them all the way out of the building. And that was it. And I felt amazing. I was like, yes, take that, dancey rebels. I was, I felt so good. I was like, you know, I could take on anyone. Anyone could try and take me on. I was like, yeah, you know, try and take me on. I, I've got this. You can try and take me on, but I've got power. Oh, oh you can take on me and my 100 biceps. I'd be like, you don't have 100 biceps. I'm like, I do. I've got 49 security guards with two biceps each, and I've got mine. So try that on for size. <laughs> With all these security guards at my work, who could be against me? No one could be against me. No one. How did I know that they were for me? How did I know that these people uh, would look after me? One, because they were paid to do it. And two, because they showed me that they would do it for me. They looked after me when I needed them to. Well, now we ask the question, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because this is not just security guards. This is the God who made everything. The God who rules everything. The God who sustains everything. If he is for us, who can be against us? Well, how do we know if he is for us? How do we know? Well, Paul tells us. He says. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God is willing to send his son Jesus to give up his son to death on our behalf. Then we know that we can trust him. We know he's on our side. We know he's going to look after us, that he's never going to stop loving us. We know it because he's shown us at the cross. We know it because his son came back to life, defeating death. We know that if he's come back to life, then he is definitely able to bring us back to life with him. We know that nothing can be against us. Sometimes I think we look at uh, our relationship with God and we think we might have spent too much. There's going to be some point where God is going to say, that's enough. That's enough. You've sinned too many times. You've, You've worn out my life. That's enough. But... He's not going to do that. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Anything we ask for from God is nothing compared to the life of his son. And God will give us all things that we need because he loves us, because he is a good father. Now imagine that I am a billionaire. I know that. I don't look like a billionaire, but I could be a secret one. And I imagine that I decided to take you all on holidays. I said, tonight, all of us, we're going on holidays, all expenses paid. I will rent a jet and we'll fly to the US and we'll go to Disneyland and we'll go to, you know, the Grand Canyon and, you know, I'll I'll rent out five-star hotels and we'll all get limos everywhere. I'll pay for everything. So you guys would probably like that. 
Some of you might think it's a bit weird and stay away, but most of you might be like, yes, that sounds really fun. And so imagine we're on this trip and we make it to Disneyland and we're having a great time. You know, I've just got off this, the small world teacup ride and, you know, I'm a little bit, my head's spinning. And you realize that you've forgotten sunscreen. And you come up to me and say, oh, Tom, can I borrow some sunscreen? I would say, no. What do you think this is? Some all-expenses-paid trip to Disneyland? <laughs> sunscreen? I can't afford that. Of course I would give you sunscreen. I'd be like, here, take my credit card. Buy all the sunscreen. I don't mind. I'm a billionaire. I spend my billions of dollars taking whole congregations to Disneyland. <laughs> Why would I care if I'm giving you sunscreen? Oh, God. We, we, we worry that, you know, we're too much for God. That there's, there's going to be this point where he says, that's enough. I've had enough of you. You ask too much of me. But if he's done the big thing, he's going to do the small thing. If he's given us his son, if he's going to give us everything else that we need, the forgiveness that we need, or the answer to prayer that we need, or the patience that we need, or, or the, the community that we need, He's done the big thing. He's going to do the small thing. We can trust Him. If God is for us, who can be against us? We have a God who loves us. His love is overwhelming. It's unstoppable and it changes everything. Let's keep going. It says uh, this. Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Now, we probably are people who feel sometimes like there are many charges against us. That we feel the weight of our sin in our lives. That we know the things that we do, the things that we keep doing, the things that we've done to other people. And we bring charges against ourselves. And we say, I'm someone who is a sinner. I'm someone who is a jealous person. I'm someone who is a gossip. I'm someone who is lustful. We bring charges against us and we think we have to earn our way back into God's love. We have other people who bring charges against us. Who tell us that we're not good enough, that we're not kind enough, that we're not smart enough. We have Satan who brings charges against us. Says that we're unlovable, unsavable. That our sin is too big for God. But who is it? Who justifies? Who is it who condemns? It's God who does it. It's God. It's not you. It's not other people. It's not Satan. It's God who has the power to give and to take life. God who has the power to pronounce you guilty or innocent. And because of what Jesus has done at the cross, he pronounces you innocent. So whatever word you say about yourself, whatever word other people say about you, whatever word Satan says about you, is nothing compared to the word of God and what he says about you. You know, when I'm feeling, uh, you know, less lazy than normal, my word manages to call up the local Thai place and produce some pad CU at my door within 20 to 30 minutes. That's the power of my word. It's not that powerful. A little bit powerful, powerful enough for me to enjoy takeaway, but otherwise not that powerful. What, what is the power of God's word? Well, his word is the power to create a universe. 
His word is true and his word creates truth. That whatever he says is true, not just because he doesn't lie, but because whatever he says comes to pass. It is true once he says it. There was not light, then God said, let there be light, and suddenly there was light. So if God says that you are justified, God says that you are forgiven, God says that you are his child, God says that he loves you, then no other word uh, can stand against his word. It is God who justifies. And it's God who justifies you and says that you are his child if you trust in Jesus Christ. This is the overwhelming, unstoppable love of God that changes everything. And then we get to this uh, amazing bit uh, from verse 34. Who then? Oh, no, sorry, from verse 35. No, let's go from verse 34. Yeah, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who has raised life, is the right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is... God's love. There is no way to separate us from God's love. Nothing in the universe that can stop us from being loved by God. No one who can stand between us and God's love. There is nothing, nothing we can do, nothing other people can do to keep us away from the love of God. This is something that needs to change everything. This phrase of being more than conquerors uh, this is a, a phrase which seems a little bit strange to me, to be more than conquerors. How can you win more than winning? That, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Uh, so I have spent some time thinking about it, and, uh, and I think it means um, that our, our conquering is so secure that it's totally unchangeable. There's nothing that can stop us from being winners in Jesus, from defeating anything that would stand against us, because Jesus has defeated everything that would stand against us. Uh, I uh, went on holidays with my family, and uh, we uh, were on the north coast, and we arrived at this motel. And so uh, when we got to the motel, I went inside, and it was a bit of a dinky motel. There wasn't much to do, but there was a TV. And I picked up the local station, so I put it on, and I had a look to see what was on TV. And there was this rugby league match. And as I told some of the youth, I had a favourite rugby league team when I was a kid, and that was the North Sydney Bears. I loved the North Sydney Bears. Did you laugh? <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> the North Sydney Bears... Uh, they, were, they were my favourite team and they were always just about to win the grand final but they hadn't done it since 1922 and then they got killed in, uh, in like 
1999. Not literally killed, they were just merged with Manly, and then Manly was like, yeah, ah, we will take all your money and leave you dead in the gutter. And so the North Sydney Bears were gone, and Manly lived on, and we, we haven't seen them back uh, in the Premiership, uh, but we're hoping that one day they will come back, they will return to bring us love and peace and beef, probably just some beef. But anyway, I, I, I love them. And then I turn on the TV, and there's this footy match. And it's the North Sydney Bears versus the Canterbury-based South Bulldogs. And I was like, oh, it's my team. They're back. And it was a classic match from the 90s. And I was like, oh, I get to watch my team again. And so I sat down, and they ran onto the field, and they started playing footy. And I was like, this is amazing. My heart was warmed. And it was like... You know, if my favourite pet had come back to life and I got to hold it in my arms again. That's how I felt. And then, within a few minutes, the Bulldogs scored. And I was like, that's okay. The Bears will be back. And then a few minutes later, the Doggies scored again. I was like, no, that's okay. They'll come back. And then they scored again. And again. And again. I'm like, what is going on? This is terrible. It's like as if my favourite pet came back to life and then got hit by a truck. That's how it feels. It's like, oh, this, is, this is terrible. Why is this happening to me? And by half time, I just couldn't face it anymore. This is, I was like, this is too much. And so I pulled out my phone and I looked up Wikipedia and I found the, the match. I was like, where is this match? And then when I read the score, I realised that the doggies were not going to win. That the, the, the North Sydney Bears came back and they won by like 10 points. I was like, yes, this is amazing. They are back. And I didn't have to stress about the game anymore. I didn't have to worry about it anymore because I knew the end of the game. I knew what was happening. I knew the Bears were going to win. There was no way they could lose because it had already happened like 15 years in the past. It had already happened. There is no way they could lose this match. They managed to lose many of them, but not that one. They were safe. They were secure. They were more than conquerors in that match. And so I didn't have to stress because I knew the end of the story. Well, when we look at us and our relationship with Jesus. We are more than conquerors. We know that we are safe in Him because we know the end of the story. We know that this end of the story was written 2,000 years ago at a cross outside of Jerusalem when God Himself died for us and then three days later rose again so that if we trust in Him, we might be able to rise with Him. We are safe in Him. The end of the story has been written. We do not need to worry anymore. We do not need to stress about the things that will occur in our life. They do not mean that God doesn't love us. They do not mean that we are separated from God's love because we've seen the end of the story and it happened when Jesus rose from the dead. We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. You know, for lots of us, we, we face suffering and we worry, does this mean that God doesn't love me? If God allows this to happen, does it mean that he doesn't love me? Does it mean that he's forgotten about me? Does it mean that he doesn't care? Does it mean that he is not there? Well, there's no promise in this that we are not going to suffer. All these things that Paul lists are suffering, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, the sword. These are terrible things to face. 
But whatever we face, they don't stop us from being loved by God. They don't separate us from God's love. They don't tell us about God's love for us. No, we are more than conquerors. In fact, the promise of this is that if we love and follow Jesus, then we will face suffering. It says, and therefore, your sake, we are being killed all day long. So it's not suffering that means that God doesn't love us. No, suffering can just be another opportunity to discover more of God's love. To discover God's love in ways that we could never have discovered it in times when it's easy. So the challenge for you, if you are a Christian, is to hold fast and to live with confidence. Because whatever you face, good or bad, it doesn't mean that God has stopped loving you. You know about God's love because you've seen it in Jesus Christ. You know about God's love and so you know that nothing will separate you from his love. That when you are facing sickness that looks too big to be overcome, God is loving you all the way through it. When your family is falling apart, God is loving you all the way through it. When you have sinned and you think that it's irredeemable, unforgivable, God loves you and forgives you all the way through it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So live with confidence. Face all these things with confidence. And don't give up. Because the things that we face do not mean that God doesn't love us, but it's just another chance for His overwhelming, unending, life-changing, universe-shaking love to work in you and you just know Him more. And if you are someone who isn't a Christian here tonight, then what this means for you is that you can have all of this. You can have this love, this love that changes everything. If only you will put your trust in Jesus. You are going to face hard times. You are going to face sickness. You are going to face trouble. You are going to face the violence of this world. You are going to face people leaving you. But if you don't have God, you face it alone. Or you can turn to the one who has loved you at the cross when he died and rose again for you and know that there is nothing that could separate you from his love if you put your trust in him. So trust in Jesus. So you have a love that will last now until forever in the God of the universe who gave his son for you. How about I pray Father God, we thank you that you love us, that your love is overwhelming and unending, that it is life-changing. I pray that you will help us to be people who hold on to the truth of this love when it looks like you don't love us. When we're tempted to think that it's not true, that we might look at the cross and know that there is no way we can doubt your love. When we hear things that are not true, but we want to believe that we would turn to your word and trust that what you say about us is what is true. I pray that we would look at your son and see that if you didn't spare him, how will you not give us all things? I thank you that you love us and that we can rely on your love. If nothing else in this world is reliable, it is you and your love. I pray that whatever we face, we will turn to you 
that we will know your love and we will find hope and comfort and strength and confidence in it. Amen.